morning. What a joy to see you all here today as we're gathered really on this. After all the hype of Christmas, it really seems to be a quieter day for us as we gather together. But it's like a time between two worlds as we come to the end of Christmas season and prepare ourselves for all that's to come in 2019. Well, that song says, it's the most wonderful Wow, we even got melody here. This is amazing, eh? But I think I would say it's the most time of the year. It's the most. For some, it has been the most wonderful time of the year. But for some others, it's been the most sad time of the year. As people look back and and miss someone who's not around the table. Or as they have something that is lacking so deeply, and it's a sad time. For other people, it's the most conflict-filled time of the year. Did you know that? That when families come together, what happens? Conflict. And uh, for other people, some people, it's conflict. And then uh, for other people, they might call it the most disappointing time of the year. Uh, One friend I talked with just a little while ago said, I've had it with 2018. I just cannot wait to turn the calendar over and to get into another year because I am done with everything that's happened here. It seems to be a time of year that's mixed with joy and sadness, a time of disappointment. And then on the uh, eve of a new year, many people are wanting to make resolutions. Uh, Do you know what the top New Year's resolutions? Okay, before I shout it out, this is... um, Think of the, uh, for those of you who were at the Christmas banquet, we had like a family feud show. So we're not going to invite a family to come up here, but, but there is a list of top New Year's resolutions that people make. What do you think the top New Year's resolution is? There you go. So it is, I, I've heard it at different places, lose weight, go on a diet, uh, and slash other people might say, um, um, get in shape. By the way, um, someone told me that today is waistline saving time. And what that means is you are reminded the next time you get on your scale to turn it back 10 pounds before you get onto it. Um, second thing. Okay. Top resolution is that is, um, is lose weight, get in shape, all of that stuff. Uh, The second one, money. Okay, there you got it. Okay, you got the top two. Okay, hey, Roger's family, you're strong. eh? Um, Save money or be debt-free, that's the second one. And then here, I'm just going to list a few of the others. Uh, Learn a new skill. Get organized. Don't tell my wife that. Um, Spend more time with family. Or this, how about this, get a new job. For some people, that's a New Year's resolution. Or uh, the last one that I uh, just looked through is quit a bad habit. Okay, so, but the unfortunate thing is this, many people who make these resolutions find themselves disappointed by the month of February because they have given up on trying to follow through on those resolutions that they have made. Disappointment. Disappointment, isn't it? 
Uh, One American short story writer expressed it this way. The main emotion of the average American who has had all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment. Or to quote an old Jack Nicholson character, what if this is as good as it gets? Well, in uh, a few moments, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11 and the interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist. But before we get there, I want to think a little bit about the story of John the Baptist and his growing up. So remember, first of all, that Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins to each other. And in the Christmas story, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, met with Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus. And Elizabeth said in Luke 1.44, it's this, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So just imagine this kind of relationship that Jesus and John the Baptist have with each other even before they are born. They are interacting with each other. And after they are born, can you imagine their family get-togethers and Jesus and John the Baptist meeting his cousins for a big family party? Can you imagine how, how both of them were told about their miraculous births? And their mothers reminding them that God has great plans for you. And when they were children, what games do you think they played? King of the Castle? Hide and seek? John and Jesus grew up. And we know that from that one other story, when Jesus was 12 years old, he and his parents went to the temple. But there is no way that it was just the three of them that went to the temple. No way. After one full day of travel, if you notice Luke 2.44, Luke chapter 2, after one full day of travel, uh, they said, oh, Jesus is not with us. And then they began after a day. Imagine this, losing your son after a day. Boy, today's age. Jesus' parents would get charged for being negligent, for not looking after the children properly. But they began looking for him among their relatives. I imagine that John the Baptist was on this road trip with Jesus and the family. So they traveled together. They would have gone to the temple together. Um, John then pulled away, got a little older. We know that he went to the desert living a life removed from civilization. And what was his diet? A strange mix of two things, honey and grasshoppers. Now, there are a lot of new diets out there, but to the best of my knowledge, this one has not been tried yet. Just imagine trying that one out. When it came to the time of the public ministry of Jesus, then John the Baptist had no questions about who Jesus was. John pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold, John 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It must have been an incredible time of joy for John the Baptist saying, There he is. It's my cousin. He's the Lamb. He's taking away the sin of the world. 
I have walked with them all this time, and now I get to proclaim it. And then also in John 3, Jesus says, that joy is mine, and now it's complete. He must become greater. I must become less. At this stage in his ministry, he took great joy in presenting the Messiah to other people. Now, John the Baptist had fiery sermons. He talked about the Messiah that was coming to bring the axe to the tree. This God that he was speaking about was going to come in judgment. He talked about those trees, a picture of our lives that don't bear good fruit, and they were going to be thrown into the fire. He had tough words to say, And he was sure that God was going to bring judgment and God was going to judge sinners. But John the Baptist, when he looked at Jesus and his ministry, instead of seeing the Messiah judge sinners, Jesus was eating with them. John the Baptist expected the Messiah to be involved in acts of judgment, not in acts of mercy. And theologically, things were not adding up for John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't just know the Christmas story. He lived. He was a participant in the Christmas story. And in this baptizer's passion for doing what was right and the conviction that he had, this led him to challenge King Herod. Now, that's where he started getting into trouble, right? When you're telling the king that he's doing something that's wrong and that he was inappropriate where King Herod married his brother's wife, then Herod did what? Herod just said, you're in jail, man. You're going into jail. And after all these things, after all these things that happened with John the Baptist, now here he is locked up. And this is where we land In Matthew chapter 11, I want you to feel the weight of the disappointment that John the Baptist felt. John the Baptist is in prison, so he actually couldn't go himself to ask Jesus this question. So in verse 2, he sent his disciples, some of his own disciples on ahead. And then in verse 3, then he asked this question, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Feel the heaviness of that. All the years of all the expectation, all the longing, pointing to Jesus. He's the one, he's the one, he's the one. And then, are you the one to come? Or should it be somebody else? I quite like it that he doesn't hide his disappointment, but it really is a very disappointing question. Daryl Johnson, the Canadian Baptist pastor and author, talks about this passage, and then he says there are two things. It's theological anguish and personal hurt and those two things that come together all in one package. Theological anguish and personal hurt. At this point, John the Baptist is very confused. For him, theologically, God's ways are not making any sense. 
and he is personally hurt. Can you hear John the Baptist saying, if this is my job to announce you, then why am I here in jail? Why has this happened? And in the words of scripture, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now, let's not be too hard on John the Baptist. Even when there is true faith, there may be a mixture of unbelief in all of us. Abraham, think of his life. Abraham is called the father of faith. And yet even he asked for a sign like John the Baptist. Genesis 15, 6, we read, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was strong. Abraham was the father of faith. But right after that declaration in Genesis 15, 6, two verses later, um, when God promises him a new land, he asks in verse 8, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I'll gain possession of it? He wanted a sign. Or Gideon, he's also listed as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11. But then he is also uncertain of God's guidance. He asks for a sign in the book of Judges where he says, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you have said, this hero of faith, he wanted a sign. He struggled as well. John the Baptist is not the only one to walk through this mix of theological anguish and personal hurt. Jesus are you sufficient for all these things or should we look for somebody more? Theologically, we might think that this, you ever think this? If I do what is good, then God needs to see that he will take good care of me. And if that doesn't happen, we're going to have to renegotiate the deal, God. Larry Crabb puts it like this. Today's twisted version of a false gospel perverts the truth that God is good into God is cooperative. Can you see the shift? God has to cooperate with me. I am now going to determine what good is, and you have to cooperate with me, God, in all of this. But we must remember what God says in Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And this theological anguish is mixed with personal hurt. We may pray for a loved one to make steps of faith. And it doesn't happen. We may pray for healing for an illness or healing in a relationship. We may pray for work, for a good job, and, and it's still not yet found. Or we might struggle with life in the church. God, if you are the Messiah, and if you are really changing people, why don't other people here in this church act a little more redeemed? Let me ask you, your, let me ask you this question. Where is Jesus not fulfilling your expectations. By the way, what's the opposite of the word 
disappointment. Um, The opposite of dishonest is honest. The opposite of disobedient is obedient. The opposite of disloyal is loyal. But the opposite of disappointment is not appointment. (laughs) You're glad to know that now. Okay. I looked up in a, an online dictionary and they gave 59 possible opposites, but they ranked them in order. So the top ones listed, the opposite of disappointment, satisfaction, or fulfillment, or contentment. So the question is posed, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else Now, did you notice Jesus' answer to John's question of disappointment? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, of course I am, you dummy. Of course, I'm it. I'm the Messiah. But he does say this in verses 4 and 5. Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What what Jesus is doing in that little statement is he's gathering, gathering together a portion of these verses from the book of Isaiah that are speaking about the Messiah. The eyes of the blind will be opened, that one verse in Isaiah. In the Old Testament, there are many miracles, but there is no healing of blindness. And it's only Jesus who opens the eyes of the blind. So Jesus is stringing together a set of Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, and And he's drawing it all together to say the very things that are being prophesied about the the Messiah in the book of Isaiah, it's all happening through me. It's exactly what you are seeing and hearing right now because if at Matthew chapter 11, you just look back in those chapters before and what you see is Jesus giving sight to the blind, Jesus raising the dead, Jesus preaching good news to the poor. Jesus doing all of those things that were prophesied and fulfilled in him. And he's saying, John the Baptist, you're not mistaken. I'm really the one who satisfies. What do you see? What do you hear when you look at Jesus? Is there anyone else that you know like him? It's a good question to ask. I remember when I was a younger person and I was struggling through doubts and a friend asked me that. Is there anyone any better? Is there anyone that draws you more than Jesus? I like what Dallas Willard said. If Jesus knew of a better way to live than following him, I am sure that he would be the first one to tell you to take it. Do you want your faith to grow? Our churches need faith. 
Our world needs faith, and we need faith. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying, the best thing that you can do for your faith to grow is to spend some time looking at what Jesus is doing. To see and to hear what Jesus is doing. Come and learn from him. Come and see his mighty acts. We really do need perspective to see what God is doing. We need to have an awareness of what God has done and what God has yet to do. To see with the right perspective changes everything. There's a lot that depends on how we see life and what we see in Jesus. I read a letter that a university student wrote to her parents. And here is how the letter went. University student to the parents. Maybe an email, eh? Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by the student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out that I was pregnant, and he got fired when he was drinking. So we're going to move to Fort McMurray, where we might might get married after the birth of the baby. Signed, your loving daughter. Then, P.S. None of that really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class, <laughs> and I wanted you to keep that in perspective. <laughs> we really do need a perspective. A perspective of the now and the not yet. 1 John 3, 2 says, Now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love that verse. I want to tell you what touches me in that is to be a disciple right now to be a child of god right now is to change and to grow it is to become more like jesus it is to be adopted into the family of god and to know that i belong to him and i belong to his children, and that we're brothers and sisters together. This is wonderful truth that we have right now. Even in the midst of deep disappointments, Jesus is the one who walks alongside me. And as much as heaven sounds so wonderful, Jesus is at work in me right now to get heaven into me. And he's at work to get heaven into his followers right here and right now. See, if I don't want the presence of God in my life right now, how could I ever want eternity with him later? So now we experience hope and healing and forgiveness. But we are not yet in a world that is fully restored. There will be a day when all tears are wiped away. 
there will be no more sickness. I want you to imagine wonderfully healed relationships with all that you interact with. There is still more to anticipate because we are not yet what we should be. I want you to know that that I love Christmas. It is an amazing celebration. You know, on Christmas Eve, when Draylen and Albert and their kids, when the family were up at the front and when they did the readings and when they lit all five of those candles, symbolically representing we're now at Christmas and Jesus is born, I want you to know that I just felt like I had a taste of heaven inside of me. It was a taste of heaven. But the full banquet is still not yet. And I am trusting God for what still lies ahead. Because Jesus was born, the world will never be the same. But Christmas is still incomplete without the teachings of Jesus and the healing of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus are incomplete without Good Friday and his miraculous death on the cross for us. And his death on the cross really is incomplete without his glorious resurrection. And his resurrection is incomplete without his final actions where he returns and where he sets all things right. And when Christ is all in all, the longed-for satisfaction of our deepest thirst for God is still yet to come. Still yet to come. So today, today, right now, We may be both disappointed and satisfied. We may be both groaning and grinning. We may be both trembling and trusting because we have a perspective of being in the now and the not yet. Matthew 11.6 This portion of scripture that we've read, it's concluded by Jesus offering a blessing. And you know that as you've read through the gospel of Matthew, you know that that earlier in the gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus offers many blessings. He, He blesses those who are poor. He blesses those who are poor in spirit. He blesses people who are in great need. He blesses those who are in sorrow and in grief. He blesses those who are in hungering for a world that is set right. Does that characterize you right now? And here Jesus is saying in Matthew 11.6, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That Greek word for stumble is uh, scandal on. You can guess the English word that, uh, that we have in our language, scandal. But the Greek word is scandalon, 
And you might think of that English word scandal, but here it means something that traps you or causes you to fall. So he's saying, blessed is anyone who isn't trapped because of me, who doesn't stumble because of me. It's like Jesus is saying this to John, and ultimately he's saying this to you and to me today. I'm aware of what you are disappointed about. I'm aware, and I understand your confusion today. But let me be the Messiah my way. My methods, my timing are not what you expect. But you are blessed when you trust my ways. Do you want his blessing today? Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Will you join together with me in prayer? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you once again today for the beautiful gift of Scripture. Oh Lord, will you please use Scripture so that we can be shaped in our attitudes, so that we can be shaped in our perspectives. We want to have the mind of Christ to to see 2018 and to look back with both the disappointment and the satisfaction. And Lord, we thank you that as we turn to you and as we pray to you, we really do believe this. Where else could we turn? You have the words of eternal life. And Lord, once again, we trust in you. And Lord, as we trust in you, we know that we are blessed. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.